Hi everybody, thanks for checking out this edition of Tellage Talks. There has been a lot of buzz at Cleveland Heights High School here in suburban Cleveland, Ohio. Two of their alums, the Kelsey brothers, Jason and Travis, they're gonna face each other in Super Bowl 57, that's a first. And on February 1st, the school showcasing a very strong college recruiting class under their outstanding head coach, Max Stevens. And the school has gained notoriety as well because of an innovative program called Build the Bridge. It was conceived by their football assistant coach, Kahari Hicks in 2020. It came to light in the summer of that year. The pandemic was going on. It was post-George Floyd. And Hicks started this program so that young people of distinctively different backgrounds could also better understand and collaborate with one another. The program caught on. The Browns, the Hall of Fame endorsing it. And now the Build the Bridge movement is up for an award. It's up for an award against programs of distinction from other National Football League cities. And recently, Tom DeLuca, football coach at Olmstead Falls High School, was named the Build the Bridge Coach of the Year. You will learn how the trailblazing efforts of Kahari's father helped make Kahari the kind of a man that he is today. I really enjoyed our conversation, and we will get to it, but first... Since 2015, the Cooper Foundation has been helping children and young adults with special needs in Northeast Ohio. Sometimes you just need a helping hand. For more information, go to thecoopfoundation.com. Now, my conversation with Kahari Hicks of Cleveland Heights High School. Hope you enjoy. Kahari, thanks very much for being on with me. Um, you are a Cleveland Heights guy. You, you're from the Cleveland Heights High School system, and you're coaching in your home at your home school. How's that been for you? Oh, it's been a blessing. Uh, class of '94, so I was able to start my journey there as a 23-year-old coach. Shout out to Mike Jones for hiring me. Wow. Hungry, out of, out of, fresh out of college, <laughs> and then, um, you know, obviously when Max Stevens got the job, nine, I can't believe it's been nine years, but nine years ago. He brought me on board and gave me the opportunity to come back and coach at my alma mater, which has been an absolute blessing. What's it been like to do that? I think that when you can walk through the same streets and some of the same neighborhoods and stores mm -hmm. and walk through the building and just see some of the kids, you have you have a, a specific relationship because you could tell those young men, hey, this is where I came from. I walked through these streets. This is my neighborhood. This is my community. And so it hits a little bit different when it's home. So to see young men have an opportunity to leave the program, become firemen, become doctors, become engineers, and become, you know, now we're starting to have guys, you know, starting to get ready to get engaged, become husbands and fathers. So it's a, um, it's a blessing. What was your path like once you got out of uh, Cleveland Heights High School? After I graduated at Cleveland Heights in 1994, I went on to play college football at Mercyhurst College under Coach Kimball. Then I, after I was done playing there, I finished my undergrad at Kent State with a degree in education. And then that's when Mike Jones hired me to come coach at Cleveland Heights as a 23-year-old. And so once Mike stepped down, I went over to Richmond Heights with Derek Johnson for two years, hmm. ended up going with George Burek to East Lake North for a year. Then I was with Coach Watley at JFK for two years, then with Coach Ginn for three years at Glenville. And then when Coach Stevens got the job at my alma mater, it was a no-brainer. 
you, know, you want to come home and make an impact in the community that you live in. That's pretty cool. And um, you mentioned a whole bunch of coaches, a lot of them very highly regarded. Coach Ginn Definitely. among them. What were some of the principles that kind of rubbed off on you from some of those uh, mentors, if you will? I think the biggest thing that I took away from Coach Ginn was just trying to get young people to understand that their behaviors can have an impact in their life beyond football. Okay. So some of the, if you have discipline issues within school or outside of school, those things will pop up on the football field. They'll pop up on your job. They might pop up in your marriage. And so Coach Ginn always refers to it as behaviors. And so I even use that in my classroom now. I try to tell the young people, I said, your behaviors will be the biggest uh, deterrent from you getting to the type of success that you want to get. And you have to drive that point home in various ways, um, just just saying it in a classroom, they have to live it, they have to experience it, they've got to have, they got to stumble. Absolutely. And we, you know, we talk about being delusional and in recruiting and delusional in the classroom. We said the more delusional you are, the higher your likelihood is to miss opportunities. And See, I, I put that in a Twitter video. I said the level of delusion versus the likelihood of loss and the higher level of delusion the more likely you are to lose. And we try to explain to people, you're deluded if you don't think that drugs will mess you up. You're deluded if you don't think that teenage pregnancy can cause you to spiral. You don't, you're deluded if you don't think that reading is the most important component in school. And all these things play f- huge factors into who is successful and who is not. And that's just outside of football. Football is a totally different animal. Yeah, it really seems like it is. And so oftentimes, too, you talk to young people and you say, what do you want to do? A lot of the kids will say they want to play professional sports. Um, how do you uh, adjust that mindset to maybe more of a re- realistic focus for the future? I try to use numbers and explain things to young people. I said that no matter what sport you want to play professionally, you know, you're one in a billion people. I said, you can't be Jay-Z. He's one in a billion. You can't be LeBron James. He's one in a billion. But Stephen A. Smith made a good point. He said, you can be Stephen A. Smith. Sure. You can go to Winston-Salem State, get a degree, and, and then work as a, as a broadcaster. And unfortunately, it's the level of delusion. I think, especially within the African-American community, getting to understand that sports are not the only way to become successful. And I try to explain that to my players. When you are getting ready to leave high school, what major do you want to take? And I said, you can't take dead majors that will lead you to no career path when you graduate. My wife is a dual degree nurse. My dad, before he passed away, ran the early college program for the entire city of Cleveland. My mom is a retired educator. My brother's a doctor. And I tell him, I said, I'm the, I'm the hicks in the household with the least credentials. And I have two degrees. I have a master's in educational leadership. So I try to tell them, look at, I said, look at COVID. What got shut down during COVID are fields you don't necessarily want to go into. Uh, I said, but if you look at tech, you look at medicine, you look at education, all those things, accounting, finance, all those are majors where you can make money when you graduate because going to college is pointless if you come out of there with a degree that you can't move on and be able to move in this this new new economy. I, I really should have asked you about your parents first instead of about your mentors. Oh, no, that's uh, okay. And t- please tell me more about your dad and your mom. My, my, my father, uh, William Hicks, uh, he was a basketball coach and football coach at West Tech in the 80s and at Lincoln West. And, and Coach Ginn had really you know, talked about how he mentioned my dad when they won the state title because he felt like my dad was one of the forerunners to uh, fight a lot of injustices in the city of Cleveland. But I think that my father, one thing that I always took from him was that I think people watch what you do. And I used to watch my father. He would call all of his basketball players and make sure they were at home doing their homework. And if they weren't at home, there was a consequence. And then I watched him going through phone books and putting together these huge VHS tapes to send off to colleges. And I said, man, my dad did that 
with no social media, yeah. with no technology. A lot more hurdles. Right, there are a lot of hurdles, but he still was able to get young men into school and change their trajectory. And so that became a focus of mine when I got into coaching. I said, it can't just be about winning games. I said, you have to be able to prepare these kids for the first and 10 of their life. Mm-hmm. And that's from, that's from Devlin Culliver, the head coach at Youngstown East now. But I think that that's what my father taught me. And my father, um, when I was going through mental health issues as a youth and I wanted to, you know, I, I wanted to harm myself, my dad was the one that always encouraged me and was an advocate for me. And so the thing that hit me the hardest about his death was that he was the first one that believed in me as an athlete. So as a coach, I had to look at those young men who didn't have an advocate and believe in them to get them to achieve. And so I think that's the biggest thing that my father did for me outside of just preaching education and discipline. And obviously, you know, my mom was right there alone. She just wasn't the uh, the sports fanatic. She came to my games, but my dad was really the one that set that foundation for me athletically, educationally, and socially. So he really got you on a path to discover people's true worth um, and because he saw your true worth. Absolutely. Through your bumps and your bruises, and you mentioned you had periods where mentally you weren't uh, feeling the greatest about yourself. Absolutely, and I think that my dad, he got me a therapist. He me and him had a difficult time my sophomore and junior year and he said we're not you know he said we're going to go see a counselor we're going to get this fixed and sometimes a lot of parents they they'll just wash their hands of their kids yep. but my father refused to do that he said you're not moving down to atlanta with your aunt you're going to stay right up here we're going to get this fixed because we'll never have a relationship and you know my dad was coaching with us at cleveland heights he was on the coaching staff he actually was coaching he he had a stroke the day of our uh, playoff game versus stowe and that was the hardest game I ever coached because I knew he wanted me to be there. Once they got him stabilized, I went there and I coached in the game. We didn't play very well. I got cussed out from the stands by a lot of parents. And this is what you sign up for when you coach. They, you know, and someone said, you know, hey, that man, that man's father just had a stroke. They don't know if he's going to live or not. And someone said, no one cares about his father. You know, it's, this is about winning his game. And then, you know, my dad ended up having a second stroke that left him brain dead and they took him off of life support. And so I think that that was what hit me the most because I know how much he cared about those kids. One of the last things he did was bring pizza and pop-up for the young men a, a day a day before he had a stroke. And then, you know, I think things always come through full circle with sports is that the day he died was the one-year anniversary of our playoff game versus Elyria. And it was one of the craziest games ever. We, we went down 22 to six at the end of the half. We stormed back, tied the game on a crazy two-point conversion mm-hmm. with 25 seconds left in the game. And then we had a kid with a scoop and score on a fumble. And we won the game on a walk-off scoop and score. And I brought my mom down on the field. I gave her the game ball. I was crying. Um, and so I think that's the power of sports and you know, having good parents and people who care about kids. You really were blessed. But you're, I was. you're pushing that blessing on to so many others. And and it doesn't seem like to me a uh, surprise that you were a huge driving force behind the program that you set up almost three years ago in the, as the pandemic was beginning. The build the bridge, building the bridge. You want to bridge the gap between kids that don't look like each other because there are so many preconceived notions about black kids are this way, white kids are that way, this, that, or the other. How did that come about? When George Floyd was murdered, you saw a lot of people going back and forth on social media, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, Democrat, Republican, 
And one a colleague of mine, uh, Marty Gibbons, the head coach at Lake Catholic, had called me. He said, what can we do about this? And I said, honestly, nothing's going to change until we get young people together and throw out your political affiliations, what you think about vaccines and all these things. Those things divide people. Sure I do. said, if these young people don't start associating with each other, they're never going to get to know one another and respect one another. And so that's when the genesis of the Build a Bridge program started. And I, I spoke with some colleagues. I said, this is what I want to do. And certain coaches were on board immediately. And I put out a social media post and it had like, I think, 10,000 views. And we had coaches from all over Northeast Ohio that wanted to get involved. And we've been able to just bring different communities together to just do partner activities. Us in Olmstead Falls, we, we regularly do activities together, Walsh Jesuit. Shout out to Coach Alexander and Coach Book, uh, Coach Williams and Coach Bookto. They did that, and there's so many schools that have gotten together. Sure. Uh, we were very fortunate the Cleveland Browns yeah. uh, through Coach O, formerly of Oberlin uh, College, for a Build the Bridge Showcase, where the Browns sponsored the showcase to be held at Brown Stadium, and we had 325 kids come in, and for only twenty dollars. And there are 100 college coaches there, and this is the second year of the showcase. And we had, I think, 40 kids got offered scholarships. And some of the kids that came to the showcase, that was how they got their exposure because some co- some of their high school coaches didn't weren't trying to help them. And then with the with the money from the camp, we're giving it away in the Build the Bridge scholarship to a, a young man, a, an African American student, and a white student uh, for, for the proceeds to the camp just to get them to understand the importance of education. What are some of the stories that you've you know got by way of just feedback from kids that are participating um, from both sides of the aisle, if you will, but just kids from all different types of schools? Talk, talking, to, talking to Coach Laverde over at Kirtland, okay. he was one of Tiger. the first people that that he said, I want in, and him and Coach Nicholson partnered up at Shaker, and he said this has been invaluable for his kids to get out of their bubble and yep. to get exposed to people um, from different communities and they, they do dodgeball i mean it was and it was hilarious i mean they teamed up the seniors from both teams against the juniors and it's this is old school dodgeball where they're trying to <laughs> take take kids out um and I, I think that you know coach creel the head coach at lorraine him and coach ward they they had they sat down and had dinner together and they brought their kids together and i think that's the the spirit of learning about people who don't look like you we uh coach steven's son linden who at the time was with yep. the Steelers, uh, with, was with the Commanders. He did a, a, a DB clinic, and so we had kids from Avon. Shout out to Coach Elder. We had uh, kids from Akron. Shout out to Coach Mitchell at Firestone. We had 50 to 100 kids just learning DB techniques from an NFL DB. And so we did a we did a, a, a community service activity where we went downtown and we uh, served at the men's and women's shelters. Sweet. And so we had young men coming down and learning to serve because I don't care what community you come from, they understood that you are very blessed to not have to be in a situation where you have to be served and you, and you don't have a home. And I think that hit home for kids that were in urban situations where they're not doing so well to kids that were living in, in $400,000 houses. Yeah, the, big, the divide can be uh, perceived as great by some people, but yet from others, not so great. Absolutely. And I guess it's how it, where it starts out in the heart. Right, and so I think that's the biggest thing. That Jake Ray, shout out to Jake Ray, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. They have brought us down, and we've been able to have some awesome conversations just about race and relations and love. And when my, before my dad died, he spoke to the Kirtland football team and talked about his experience being on a freedom ride down in Mississippi. And he said, when you know someone, it's very difficult to treat them badly. 
And he said, had those people down there, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have called me the racial slurs that they did. They wouldn't have hit me with the billy clubs. They wouldn't have dragged me out on the concrete and sick the attack dogs on me. He said, because he said, it's, it's not about black and white. It's just about love. And so when you, when you know somebody, you're not going to treat them badly. It's kind of like when you know the special needs kid in the building, when you know him or her, you're not going to let other kids just mess with them. And that's not even a black white issue. That's just a, a dis because you know, kids mess with kids with disabilities, of course but when yeah. they, but when someone knows that kid mm-hmm. and they know their story, you're more likely to say, Hey man, no, you're not doing this. And I think that's part of what we want to do with build the bridge is when you get to know people, when you hear stupidity, you're willing to sit there and say, man, no, this is wrong. You're not going to say these kind of things. And you'll stand up for them because you've got that 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 depth in your heart that knows the right thing to do is to stand up for someone else. And if there's some moral um, stanchions to stand on, it makes it a little bit easier for you to do that. Absolutely. So I think those are the kind of things that we're just working to just continue to bring young people together and get them to interact just for the greater good. What do you think your dad would think of this? My dad was there for the beginning of it. Um, I think when we had the camp at Brown Stadium, I started crying because I know that this is something that would that would have been near and dear to him Uh, just to see where the program is going, where where it has been and where it's going. uh, My dad would have been very proud. So, you know, you got to keep moving. Got to keep moving. And there's, there's no end to how this program can reach out. It's not just a, a Northeast Ohio thing. It's 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 got to be something that can be a movement that can go to all 50 states and beyond. And I agree. We were very fortunate to win the Changemaker Award for the Cleveland Browns. We were selected as the recipient for the city of Cleveland. So we will represent the city of Cleveland against the other 30s, some odd teams uh, this year. And, and Because, we, you know, ultimately we're just trying to inspire change through young people because uh, you know how it is sometimes you get older you get set in your ways yeah but when through sports when you can interact with people you can really you know make make huge changes in society and so we're hoping to be able to take this to another level with some of the things that we have planned now you uh in the beginning it was your idea but obviously mac stevens incredible person first and foremost uh all on board with that and and other people as well right Absolutely. So I came to Mac with the idea after I after I thought about it, I said, Mac, this is what I want to do. And Mac said, you know, this will be a good idea because at the time it was very, very tense. And, you know, you had people on, you know, far right and far left about yeah. George Floyd and no one could ever come to the middle, which is where we want to bring people. So I, t- I talked to Mac and I didn't want to put pressure on coaches to 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 do it. So they would, they would feel like, you know, hey, I got to do it so I won't look like I care. And, I see. and so, you know, you know, I, I talked to Damian Creel over at Lorraine. He was in, then, you know, speaking with, when I put it out there, I, I called Coach DeLuca. He was in immediately. Coach Alexander at Walsh, Coach Fox at Nordonia, Coach Laverde, Coach Dodd, Coach Duffy, Coach Martin at Cuyahoga Heights, you know, mm-hmm. Coach Ward at Columbia. They all flooded to this immediately. Coach Ginn was very supportive. He came to the um, Build the Bridge event at the Hall of Fame and spoke and just talked about some things. And so there are a lot of coaches that were really all on board with just trying to bring young people together because ultimately, you know, and I think it was Nick Alexander who said this. He said, one day, what if my daughter wants to marry an African-American man? Mm -hmm. Why would I have a problem with that? And that was one of the most telling things that he he said to me through this whole process. And Coach Laverde said the exact same thing because they, they, they recognize you know the fact that this is a very different society and people are coming into contact with with all different races and love is you know if you 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 have to move past what someone looks like whether it's a a husband and a wife or just your teammates and just have a general 
love for people because as you know bad people come in all colors and all religions sure do and so i think that that's the important thing that we've had so many coaches that have been on board i can't even shout them all out because there's so many of them coach scott just got involved from um from chagrin falls coach tolth over at bedford uh coach Siuli over at uh at north royalton he's coming on board uh bay village wants to be involved so we have so many different uh coaches that recognize the value of just trying to get young people together because ultimately when you say the wrong things you can often often end up in human resources and have your job on the line for just saying things it doesn't matter whether you're white or you're black you can make ignorant statements regardless and you just don't want to end up in a human resource room or be labeled a certain way because you don't have any experience with other people like like i'm an orthodox muslim very conservative muslim family my daughter wears a headscarf while she plays known as a hijab and so a lot of the officials have no context they said do you have to wear that headband when you play and so i've watched them try to give my daughter a technical foul i've watched them try to assess technicals to girls because they they got their brown skin mixed up with band-aids and so but when you don't have context then you these are the common things that you do and i don't and I, I think when you just get people together and you sit down as as dr king at the at the tablehood the table of brotherhood You'll, you'll get people together and these, these issues will be eradicated. The religion you practice is, the, is a quarter of the world's population exactly. is that. And, and um, yet uh, maybe many people aren't even aware of how far-reaching it is and, and how common it is in our world, but in this area, maybe not as much. Right, and I think that's a huge thing is that, you know, I will step aside from practice and I will go pray. We have to pray five times a sure. day. The evening prayer often comes in right during the football game. And on the change of possession, I will step outside the press box and go pray and then come back in. And, you know, because people don't know, they say, well, you know, why are you, why are you, why are you putting your face down on the ground? Yeah. Even though there's a prayer program right there where they're saying, well, why aren't you eating? I said, well, it's Ramadan. Where, yeah. you know, so, well, does that mean you can't eat for 30 straight days? I said, no, it's from no, sunrise no. to sunset. But, again, it's context. People they don't know. Mm-hmm. And if you, get, if you get to know people, then you you won't you you won't say things like Muslims are terrorists or these white kids are privileged because mm-hmm. no one wants to be put in a box and that's one of the things co- shout out to Coach Kostanek and Coach Elder over at Avon and Avon Lake Coach Kostanek's kids said we don't want to be known as privileged kids because cool. not not all of us it, it's it's offensive to us to think that we don't work for things and I said that's the part of the problem is that I don't want to be called a terrorist you don't want to be called privileged. So we just have to get once you know somebody, you'll understand their life story. And then you won't even sit there and think that, you know, well, Coach Hicks is a terrorist or this kid from Avon or Avon Lake is um, is a privileged kid. They're just people. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. It's great to see that the kids have that attitude on both sides, if you if you will. You mentioned kids know each other a lot more nowadays and social media plays a big part. Absolutely. We're in that time of the year. Some people may be listening to this right before National Signing Day, maybe after. But we're at that time where uh, kids are staking their their futures on signing a national letter of intent. You um, become very well known for your ability to help people through this process. What are some of the biggest pitfalls as you go forward for that? I think that what everyone has to do in this process is to be, what's the best word? Realistic. Gotcha. When I do a presentation, I will have Max stand next to me and I'll say, this is the difference between what a division one player looks like and what a very low-level Division II player looks like in me, I said I'm just not on the I'm just not on the end of the DNA pool. Gotcha. There's nothing I can do about that. And I try to explain to people. I said I want to go to Ohio State. I said Ohio State is of one of the one percent. Alabama is one of the one percent. You know these schools that are at the top of the CFP, 
uh, playing college football is hard enough, but these schools are even more elite than that. Yeah. And I said, what you need to do is control everything you can control. What are you like in the classroom? And so we have a couple of young men on our football team, you know, and I, I, I won't spill their beans because they're getting ready to commit on Wednesday, but they have committed to some very high academic schools because they took care of business in the classroom. And I try to explain this to parents and, and young people. I said, if you have a, and I said the magic number is always 3.75 plus. When you start getting into that, that category, you allow 99% of schools to recruit you. I said, in this new recruiting cycle, when college coaches can go pull guys from the portal, you need to be able to have something that somebody else doesn't have. And every kid in our program that's had a 375 plus has really ended up in some phenomenal situations. And I think that's the biggest thing. So they don't understand, like, what do you look like academically? What does your transcript look like? You have full control over that. You don't have control of the fact that, like, like we had a kid that um, that's at uh, uh, West Virginia, Maurice Hamilton. He's 6'4", 330. Yeah. He's big on, Mo. Right, big Mo. That's the end of the gene, the, the end of the gene pool he's on. And so – He's going to get certain looks that other kids aren't going to get. Gotcha. And, and that's the thing that a lot of parents just don't understand. They can't remove the daddy goggles or the mommy goggles. I said, your son is 5'8", 140 pounds. Your kid is not going to be able to play at Alabama. Right. They're just not. And I think that's the biggest thing. And I've written a book about it called Navigating the College Recruiting Process. I've gone to different schools to speak about the process. And I always feel like I'm a, I'm a neutral third party because I don't coach at the school that I'm speaking at. I'm saying this is how the yeah. process goes. And, but you're helping kids potentially at that school. Right. And I and I, I try to explain that to young people. I said, this is what you need to do in terms of how you handle the camp process, how you post the social media, what you post to social media, because all these things are part of a huge algorithm that plays into who gets to what school and who doesn't. And at the top of, the, of that algorithm is your height, weight, size, speed, and your academics. Those five things are the core five that determine where you get to play. And four out of those five are not really in your control. Right. Social media that can really uh, uh, alter uh, unrealistically people's expectations, right? And I think that's the biggest thing I said, that the problem nowadays is that with social media, everybody knows who's offered everybody else. And so now you get to compare your process. Oh, oh, John got offered by such and such and such and such. I'm better than John. Why am I not getting recruited by them? My coach isn't doing his job. And and my thing is that now you start to compare your process to somebody else, and now your whole end game is you're just playing to get an offer. You don't even love your sport. So when you get to college and there's no more recruiting and you just have to play and compete, Mm -hmm. you leave and walk away from a good scholarship or financial aid package you have nothing and i always encourage people enjoy your high school experience because i don't care what you say numbers are numbers seven percent move on to play at the next level and it doesn't matter where you go you You know you mentioned uh um enjoy your senior that is that a problem where kids they're fast-tracked right out of their senior years. I mean, can't you enjoy your senior year for heaven's sake? I think the bottom line is this. Now, with the new way that colleges are recruiting and they're offering players as ninth graders, yeah. now now the process has become even more convoluted because now this ninth grader got offered and he has no varsity film. Why has my kid not been offered? And at the end of the day, you don't know what's going to happen between that kid being offered as a ninth grader and what happens on the first Wednesday in February anyway. Because a lot of things can change. Sure. And, and those are things I said. In all, and at the end of the day, an offer is only an offer if you can commit. Because a lot of times you'll be offered so they can build a relationship and recruit you. They might not accept your offer. And that's the thing I said. I, because I know this. Because the colleges say that. They have to offer more players 
than what they can actually sign. <coughs> Excuse it, me. Yeah, it's almost like uh, uh, getting seats filled for an airplane. Exactly. You got, <laughs> and so once the seats are filled, that's the thing the kids don't understand is that a coach can offer 20 DBs, but they're only signing three. They can't just offer three because, well, those three don't accept it. Yep. So they have to over-offer. And the kid that's the top kid on the board, they'll make other kids wait until they know what that kid's going to do. They'll hold that spot for that kid. Sure will. But when the talent level is equal, they'll take the first kids that commit. And that's just the truth of the process. And so many kids, they say, I'm going to wait for bigger offers. That's the biggest conversation I have with young people nowadays. I'm going to wait for another offer. I said, you can wait and you and you will see what happens. I said, because none of you are that good. We tell our own players this. You know, we had, the, we had the player of the year in Division One in Northeast High. We had Darion Fair, but we told yeah. Darion, you're not that good. None of you are. I said, you know why? They cut Peyton Manning, and he went on to throw 55 touchdowns after he was cut. They cut Tom Brady, and he, he won a Super Bowl after he was cut. So if they'll cut the two best to ever play, why won't they cut you? Or why won't they move on for you? Right. And so those are the things we try to explain to kids. Be where your feet are. Enjoy your experience. And those of you all who are good enough to move on to the next level, you will. And you move on and things happen for you, your life explodes in a good way. Um, but through it all, um, in 2023, we have so much of that social media. And I'm not just talking about, I'm talking now about just the mental psyche of kids. Absolutely. Today. How does that come into play uh, to make, make things difficult for a kid just trying to get by, be an athlete, be a student? Social media. Go forward. And recruiting has glamorized the recruiting process. Yeah. Outside of uh, outside of um, sports, it's put a filter literally on what people's lives really are. Yeah. Like we re- like we read articles in my classroom about the psychology of social media and how it alters the brain and what it makes you think, especially for our young women yeah. when they see these filters and, they, and these women put the you know, the filter can make you look like what you don't even look like. And they get the, they get the, that dopamine feed when when they get positive likes feedback, and, likes and, 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 and follows and all that stuff. And I mentioned that I so said they did an experiment where they put like little probes on the person's head and monitored their brain scans, and they watched the person while their post was getting a lot of reposts and likes. In the same area that lit up in their head with these lights, the same uh, area that lit up when the person is high. Ah. And so I try to explain these things to young people. I said, you, you all could end up being the generation that has the worst communication skills because everything is done via text or DM, and you don't actually have phone call conversation to resolve issues. You don't talk face to face. You become keyboard warriors. Yeah. So I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to beat you up. Wait till we see each other. And that's why I honestly think a lot of things were resolved differently when I was younger because. You know, you, you couldn't be a key, and, and you weren't interconnected. You just didn't know people that, that were outside of your community. And I think that's the biggest thing with young people is that you've got to learn how to actually communicate with people mm-hmm. and, and have meaningful relationships. And, not, and I said, I told them, I said, I can look at any, I said, I can look at any of your Instagrams and tell me exactly who you are because of what you post. I said, because I said, I said, if you post a bunch of pictures of vegetables, I know you like gardening. If you post a lot of things about, about dogs, you're a dog lover. I said, your social media tips you. And I told the kids, I said, honestly, nowadays, the companies, they are these they're hiring people. They're looking at your social media before they're even looking at your resume. Sure. See, there are any red flags. Yeah, if there's a lot of uh, disrespectful uh, mm-hmm. attitude towards other people, yep. they're going to see that, and it's, there's going to be tons of red flags. Absolutely. And I think those are the things I try to explain to people. Your social media is more important than your resume, so you better watch what you do. And that's with college recruiting or just, heck, applying to a law firm. Because every company now has social media regulations written into their job contracts. Yeah. And the laws are uh, cyberbullying, sexting, all this stuff. Every state is now putting some type of legislation in 
to handle these issues because the technology is growing at a rate that you know, we just can't keep up with. Yeah. What do you see yourself in 10 years? You can continue coaching and in, in impacting kids uh, in a super positive way? I, w- I would like to continue coaching as long as it is, it is, it is in the law's will to where I'm able to make an impact on people. Coaching is not easy. People don't understand that. There are certain things that you have to be willing. I had a parent that wanted to fight me um, over, over, over playing time. And these are the things that you sign up for when you coach. You're going to be trashed in the stands at times. We led the state in scoring this year yeah. for Division One, and there are people who said I, I, I'm a horrible coach. And so these are things that you sign up for. But I think as long as we can continue to address the issues that young people face and we can try to keep putting people on a positive trajectory, then, you know, I would like to continue to do it. I, you know, I'm 46 years old, so I'm not I'm not a super old person. So, you know, my health is good. I'm very blessed with that. So if, I, I would like to continue to, to work with that, work with Build the Bridge, work with the AASCA, the African-American Football Coach Alliance, just to try and help young people, you know, get to where they want to be because sometimes kids won't listen to the English teacher, but they might have a connection through music. I see. The band director might get them to where they need to be. The football, basketball, baseball, softball, hockey coach might get them where they need to be. The drama, the drama club director might get people where they need to be. The heck with Build the Bridge, we're looking at uh, uh, making a musical to, to, to touch on domestic violence, substance abuse, wow. and things like that. Where, and we've we've written all the music. That's that's another thing. I, you know, I, I've I've I'm a, I've written screenplays, so. That's something that we're looking at doing. We're in discussions right now to where we're going to unite 30 different communities and have actors and actresses come and do a musical that's going to hit on real issues that people need to see. What are the effects of substance abuse? What are the effects of domestic violence? What are the effects of mental health and depression? These are things that hit these kids, doesn't matter what community you're from. And so if we can get this off the ground, it's going to be a huge, huge project that's going to connect so many communities. So it's something that prayerfully will get done. That is a great, that's a great idea, and, and I can't think of a better way to even end the interview. I think it, it leaves us with a, a sense of great hope because your mind's always thinking, always uh, looking for ways to bring people together and to get a message out in a positive way. I commend you, young man. And, and I just want to say this in closing. Also make sure I say thank you to the Cleveland Browns, sure. Hannah Lee, Jenner, Peter, Romy Graham, and then Coach O over at Oberlin uh, for the support through our Build the Bridge Showcase, which has put a lot of people in a situation where they can get evaluated for schools at a low cost. So, again, you know, we have a website, build-bridge.com, if you want to see more information. Shout out to Farrell Brown and Kareem Hunt of the Cleveland Browns for the uh, My Cause, My Cleats initiative, wearing Build the Bridge cleats to bring exposure to our initiative and, and we'll make sure I say, you know, you know, in the Islamic religion, it, it says if you're not thankful to others, you're not thankful to Allah. So I want to make sure I'm just, you know, obviously I couldn't thank everybody, but I want to make sure I said thank you to a lot of people who had an impact on all the different things that we've done. Fantastic, Kari. Thanks very much for the time. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks once again, Kahari, for taking the time to chat with me for this week's episode. Truly are making a difference in the lives of so many young people here in Northeast Ohio. And as usual, I urge you listening to subscribe, rate, and review to help make this program get out there more in the public's eye. Hicks, by the way, was on the staff of Ted Ginn Sr. He mentioned that in the podcast. And if you want to know more about Ted Ginn Sr., go to Season 2, Episode 8. I had a great chat with Coach 
again not too long ago, and very recently he was named to the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Greater Cleveland Sports Commission at their annual awards dinner, an honor he truly does deserve. Thanks again for listening, everybody, and we'll see you the next time on Tellage Talks.